It's a phrase from popular movies. It's also a question that comes up in our daily life. The question is, is that even legal? We talk about the things that drive you crazy, the things you won't believe, and the things you need to know and understand. I'm attorney Bob Sewell, and this is the podcast, Is That Even Legal? Let's get started. Today's guest in the podcast is Kevin Fine. Kevin Fine and I have worked together for 16 years. He does personal injury law. He does things like dog bites, slip and falls, car crashes, all the stuff you think about when you think about personal injury. Welcome to the show. It's good to be here. Nice to talk with you in this setting. Yeah. So I want to tell you a little bit, little story, okay? I heard this story many years ago, and I am not going to vouch for the truth of the story, but I want to believe it's true, okay? You, are you prepared? I'm ready. I'm ready. So, I, and, and I will tell you this. I heard it in an ethics class as if it was true, all right? So if I'm it was go in an it. ethics class, it probably wasn't it probably, true. No, it was true because <laughs> everything's ethical in an ethics class. Right. Okay, so the story, as the story goes, uh, this attorney used to dress up like a priest and he would put on his priest garb and he'd go down to the emergency room when he heard about accidents that had happened or when he thought there might be some people there and he would go and talk to people and bless you my son you know how are you feeling today and all this stuff and as he's there um he's would hand out, you know, his business card, you know, you've obviously been in an accident and you'll need an attorney. And he'll hand out his business card. Here, take this card. I don't know if you heard the story, but here's the here's the question, Kevin. Where do you keep your priest outfit? <laughs> I'll never tell. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I, I'll, I'll, I'll never tell. I kid you not. I heard that story in law school from my ethics professor. All right. I don't know if you heard it. So what do you, uh, true or not true? I don't know guess. whether it's true or not true. I haven't heard that story. I've heard stories like that tell story. Me. And I don't doubt that that could have happened. Tell me, tell me. And I, and I, uh, I have heard a, a f- firsthand or from somebody who saw it firsthand of an attorney who did a similar thing, but he just went to the hospital dressed in a white coat with a stethoscope around his neck and a, cl- <laughs> and a clipboard. And he could wander anywhere he wanted to in the hospital. Uh, uh, disguised as a doctor and uh, would get in and talk with people that way. I've heard that story. <laughs> so, uh, and I, and uh, so now you're going to ask me, where's my white coat? And I, you know, I will never tell. <laughs> First of all, injury attorneys, they get a bad rap. Why is that? Well, first off, there are a lot more rumors about that kind of story than True life, right? Okay, okay. And, and Fair there is that ambulance chasing uh, reputation. Um, I am in a, an odd line of work, and that is, my clients have uniformly had a bad experience of in their lives, and and so um, you know, just by default, we are dealing with touchy, uh, hard uh, situations where somebody has been seriously injured due to the wrongdoing of another person, uh, and. And because there is, there are a lot of attorneys that do this line of work, uh, there's a lot of competition for the cases. And so there's a lot of advertising, both good and bad, and, and, and some gamesmanship from time to time in trying to get 
the, uh, the good cases. So uh, there's been a lot of regulation over time uh, put in place for, uh, to make it so attorneys are not supposed to do those uh, types of things to protect the public and to the reputation of the of uh, lawyers as well, uh, but it, but it still happens. You know, it still uh, happens. I want to I want to dig a little deeper. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine comes to me years ago, and he says, "Cannot stand my attorney." Oh, really? I'm sorry. What, what's going on? I'm the one that had the broken leg. I'm the one that spent two years trying to recover or whatever his story. I can't remember his exact story. He's got his long list of complaints. I'm the one that suffered, and my attorney got a third. And isn't that what we're talking about? Yeah, it can be. I mean, I can understand how that would be frustrating for somebody that's been through that experience and see that much money from a settlement or judgment going out the door. Um, and uh, you know, I, I hope that most attorneys doing what I do We'll be mindful of that and make adjustments when needed, especially if that outcome really does look unjust. There should should probably be a shift. Uh, But the attorneys also need to be paid for the work that they are doing to be able to continue to do it as well. So striking that balance is always important. The the good news on on most personal injury cases is that the client does not have to pay as they're going. Yeah, that's important. Yeah, and doesn't have to pay if there isn't a favorable outcome. Either and that's that's rare in the law. I mean, most if if you're if you're a criminal defendant, you've been accused of a crime, and your attorney uh, goes to bat for you, goes to trial, you lose that trial, you you still go to prison, you're still paying that attorney for the time that they put into do, your defense, regardless of the outcome, and of necessity, the system has to be that way. But in most personal injury cases. If you don't have a favorable outcome, at least you're not having to part with uh, that percentage. And uh, at least that can help to to alleviate some of the concern that the clients have in that situation. But I can understand the frustration if they see that uh, a large sum of money going out of their settlement or judgment to to the lawyer. And I hope lawyers will be sensitive to that. Oh, I totally get it. And I and I, but I like what you said because the personal injury lawyer is doing it different than almost every other lawyer. Mm -hmm. They're doing it on contingency. There's no guarantee that they'll ever get paid. And sometimes they put in years of effort and they come up short. Yes, that is true. Especially the larger cases, the kind of cases that may actually ultimately hit the headlines, uh, which are rare. You know, most cases are more routine, uh, but the bigger cases also tend to be riskier. Uh, they tend to take years to develop, and the outcome is uncertain. It's possible for an attorney to put years of work into a jury trial in a contingency fee case, an injury case, have an unfavorable outcome, and have to walk away from the time and the uh, the time that they put into that case. I want to talk to you a, a little bit about why we have this type of law, and 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 also, but I want to give you. You know, first a chance to talk about my my theory about personal injury attorneys, okay? And and see if you agree or disagree with this statement. If you agree, just tell me why. Personal injury attorneys make this world a safer place. True or false? Yeah, it is true. Okay. Yeah. Why? Well, as we know, a lot of uh, well. As we know, every company, I'm not faulting the companies for this, but every company out there that's making a product or giving a service has a profit motivation, right? Right. And sometimes it's less expensive to manufacture a worse or even a more dangerous product or even give a service in a way that isn't as safe as the public would want. 
government regulation cannot keep up and enforce all of that, right? They, they, there's, there's not enough overhead in the, the government system to pay for all the policing it would take to make all those products as safe as they can be and make all those services as safe as they can be. But the civil litigation system, the personal injury system, if you will, adds another level of enforcement uh, to keep the companies accountable to making these these products and giving those services in a reasonably safe manner. And that's true every, everywhere from, you know, product manufacturers, and that same logic also applies on the streets for just drivers like you and me out there where people have uh, an additional level of motivation to be safe drivers because they know if they cause an injury by being an unsafe driver, they will be held accountable and their insurance company will be held accountable. And uh, and that adds a level of enforcement and safety to our society that simply would not exist. And you can see it if, you've, if anybody travels a bit, you can see um, ways in which that's not true in other countries. And we have that benefit here. Right. You know, when when I get into a, new, a modern car, I will I will have a sensor in the front to let me know that someone is in front of me, a person. I will have a sensor to let me know that there's there's some car in front of me. If I'm in cruise control, it'll slow me down. If I'm if I'm backing up, a camera comes up in the back, and when I'm getting close to whatever is behind me, it'll beep. Mm-hmm. All these things didn't happen because they wanted to have it in there, right? Right. right. Yeah. Why the heck? And, and even if they were going to happen over time naturally in the market, they will happen f- much faster because of safety concerns, including uh, the personal responsibility that the the uh, personal injury system places on companies and people. Yeah, and so, so we may get those changes ten or t- ten or twenty years faster than we would have otherwise. And if you start multiplying the number of injuries prevented, the number of deaths prevented because of even an increase in the speed at which those happen. It's incredible. It really, really is a benefit to society. One of the beefs I have is how disparate the results can be. You know, I don't know if that's the right word. I, I, I have a tendency I, to make up my own. I'm words, with you Kevin. on this. Yes. Well, that's all right. <laughs> yeah. And, there, and your point is, is a great point. Well, let's talk about it. So Tracy Morgan, he's a famous actor. He got into a car accident. Walmart hit a Walmart truck hit him. The Walmart truck was found to be at fault. The 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 uh, settlement, the ultimate settlement, um, was unknown. It's confidential, but it's rumored to be in the many, many millions of dollars. Tracy Morgan still has his life. He's starting. He's started to work again a few years later. Um, he may not be at the same speed he was, but it's unknown to me whether or not that's because of his accident or whether or not that's because he that's what he chooses to do. But nonetheless, he gets millions and millions of dollars. Bob Sewell, the dog walker, gets hit by a Walmart truck. And I get thousands, maybe 100,000. What's going on there? Right. Well, interesting. My theory would be uh, that if you had a similar injury with similar economic consequences, 
in both cases and a defendant in both cases that has enough money to pay the full damages, mm-hmm. the full results of their consequence, you probably would get compensated in a similar way. Okay. Most of the time that disconnect is because the person who caused the injury can be uh, so different in their ability to pay for the damages. Uh, for example, uh, there's a recent uh, situation here in Arizona where one of the Arizona Cardinals was killed in an auto accident. Yeah, yeah. Are you talking about Jeff Glad- yeah, Gladney? Right. Uh, and the I don't know the details or what the outcome of that case will be, but I will tell you that um, if the person who caused that accident has the minimum policy in Arizona, which is $25,000, and doesn't have anything collectible, if they don't have... 401ks, they don't have income, they don't have uh, um, home equity above 150000 under the Homestead Act, uh, that's you know protected. If they don't have a lot of collectible assets and they're carrying just a regular insurance policy, he, he, he might collect $25,000. You know, that might be the value of the case regardless of the fact that, or not he is, his, uh, the, the uh, plaintiffs in his wrongful death action uh, may be very limited in what they can actually recover for a major loss simply because of the inability to pay on uh, by the person who caused the, the injury. And that's the, that in my cases, that's usually the major limitation in, in, in the more serious uh, injury cases is simply the res- resources on the other side. Now, Walmart has lots of resources. If the injury is caused by Walmart, whatever the injury is, and whatever reasonable compensation for that injury is determined, Walmart can probably pay it, whether it's small or big. Most people can't. But let's talk about economic damages. Economic damages means loss of income. Right. And that can vary. And that can vary. Because <laughs> it varies among Tracy people. Morgan's income, he's on the road, he's touring, he's a funny man, you pay $100 a ticket, he fills stadiums. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of economic damages. When Bob Sewell was a window cleaner, uh, put myself through school. I'm sure you were very good. I was a very good window yes. cleaner. People played, paid millions to see <laughs> me wash windows. <laughs> okay. You know, I don't exactly command the same economic damages, right? That is true. That is true. And that's in economic damages are part of the case. So e- even if... Now, your, your pain and suffering award, do what we call pain and suffering, this more nebulous part of a claim that is supposed to compensate you for your own negative experience going through the healing process, et cetera, that might be very similar. But the economic loss might be very different depending on what a person's job is and how much uh, the injury affected it. Now, there are major injuries that may not actually cause much of an economic harm even to a high-income earner. And uh, uh, for example, you know, you, with what you and I do for a living, uh, as long as we can speak and type, we're probably all right. A major injury to our knee might not put us out of business or even uh, cause a blip in our ability to practice law. But if somebody is a professional athlete, if someone is, is a construction worker, that same exact injury may make it so they can no longer do the job that they were doing. Uh, and so the economic uh, damages can be very different from case to case, depending on earning capacity, depending on the effect of that particular injury, because that is part of the claim. You know, that's the economic losses tied to income, the medical bills tied to treatment, and then this other category of what we call non-economic or human damages is the third major category. And each, each of those can vary a lot from injury to injury, but the economic damages are based on a person's income and earning capacity which do vary. 
And, and, and I will say on the whole discrepancy, that's not the discrepancy in these outcomes that most troubles me. Tell me why. The, Tell the, me why. The, the, the discrepancy in the potential outcomes that most troubles me is that if you have two cases with very similar injuries and even very similar economic outcomes that both go to a jury trial, and we'll talk about that probably at some point about jury trial outcomes, you can have two very similar cases go to a jury trial and have very different outcomes, mainly because of that third category, and that is the jurors' views, the collection of these eight to 12 people that are deciding that case um, may decide the, the non-economic damages very differently from one jury trial to, to another, even under very similar circumstances. Yeah. And that, I, I, have not, I am not smart enough to have figured out how to, to narrow that particular discrepancy, nor have... In, in, no in, one has. In, in 500 years of jurisprudence between our company and England, we haven't figured out how to, to, to narrow that potential discrepancy. Yeah. You know, it, it's a world that I don't play in, right? Personal injury is a different world. And I remember when I was a baby attorney, as we call young attorneys, we call them baby attorneys, um, You, a mutual friend of, of ours was doing closing arguments on a case he had been working on for several years. And it was a big case. And I um, said, well, I want to go see what this attorney is going to do, you know, how he's going to handle these closed arguments. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go learn. And he stands up, this attorney, and he gets into a speech and, you know, if it wasn't because of X, but for the, the defendant's X conduct, we wouldn't have had this result and so-and-so would not have died and tells the sob story and then says, we were thinking that an appropriate number would be five, ten million dollars, somewhere in that neighborhood. There's no explanation Right. right. I mean, where did that number come where from? Did number, where did that number come from? <laughs> and to I mean, most of us, even lawyers, you hear numbers like that as a juror, and you're like, I've never heard numbers that big in my life. Well, and and, where are they coming from? And, and you know, and please I, explain why that number, right? In the commercial litigation context, you could say uh, the contract was breached, it was worth a million dollars, pay a million dollars. Okay. That makes sense to a juror. And they could decide whether or not they could award the million dollars. And, and to some degree, you could say, well, they've lost their income. They've lost, you know, this. Right. Uh, they, they've, they've had Those this medical Those things have a mathematical bills. price tag on them that can make some sense to uh, the rest right. of us. Right. And, and, we, and we could put that on a piece of paper. And then when you get to the pain and suffering, the non-economic damages, then we say, oh, five, ten million Right, just in a vacuum. And the cord went in, right. the, went in right. erupted. And to it, add to the, and add a to the problem, dollars, you know. and again, I'm, I'm not doing a lot to dissuade you from saying that's a problem, right? Because I'm, I'm with you. I believe it. I've been doing this for 30 years, and this part of, of it is still a hard thing for all of us to deal with. Clients, attorneys, the system, and that is the potential swings in outcomes uh, you know, just by because the jurors are people from the community that have never had to make that decision before, and oh. they never will probably make that decision again, and are not actually they are allowed to look at all the evidence that's presented. That, that evidence will fall into all three of those categories. What are the, you know, what happened? 
What were the injuries from what happened? What did it take for this person to get better? What were the economic losses? And then this, what happened in their lives that, was, that were negative consequences? All those things will be before the juror, but they do not get to look at other juror results even to decide what, get, to get any guidance on what they probably should do, except these two lawyers, the defense lawyer and the plaintiff lawyer, who may be arguing drastically different numbers. But, Kevin, why have economic damage, non-economic damages at all? Why have them if they're so arbitrary? Why allow that to continue in our right. society? Well, because, with, because without them, the victim would really feel like justice was not done. Right. Because, because if you're the one that – and this is a – I've heard, had clients explain this to me. That before they had it happen to them, where they had a major injury that really set them back, then the idea of just paying the economic damages seemed to make sense to them, just yeah. as people. And, and what's this non-economic human loss damages? But when they were going through it, they realized there's a whole lot. Maybe most of what has happened to them is not reflected in the medical bills. That pays the doctors. It's not reflected in their lost income. That just gives them back income they would have lost. There's a part of their lives they felt like they've lost or are continuing to lose. If it's a long-term injury, some of these injuries never get better. Um, and, and so they, so the justice system has recognized that without that l- part of the compensation, justice hasn't been done. And, and, and most jurors recognize that. Most yeah. people do. Um, there can be discrepancies over what the numbers should be, which is harder to narrow. But that there should be something compensating the victim, him or herself, is is widely enough accepted that it's been part of the system, again, since England. You know, Kevin, you run marathons. I do. Is I, that because you it, want it's to not, catch the ambulance? It's not so. Well, <laughs> uh, it, it, if I ever did have to, it would probably be helpful. Uh, but, but that is not why, yeah, that's not why I run marathons. Okay. I cannot outrun an ambulance even with all my <laughs> marathon training. Okay. No, in a serious note, there are a lot of high-dollar advertising firms. Yes. Yes. Do those firms necessarily give me the best result? Yeah, I, I'm going to be re- – uh, given the fact that we are not an advertising law firm, we don't advertise for personal injury cases directly, I'm going to be surprisingly kind to okay. the big advertisers. Okay. Okay. Uh, the, the, I won't be, but go okay, ahead. Yeah. Uh, I understand why, uh, first off, it wasn't th- uh, until sometime, uh, I think in the 1970s, it was Van Osteen and his law firm that actually uh, went to the United States Supreme Court for lawyers to even get permission to advertise. Hmm. Prior to that, lawyers were not allowed under our rules of ethics to advertise. And the United States Supreme Court told Van Osteen, a lawyer in Arizona, that they, they could, that state bars could not keep us from advertising, but they could put restrictions on it. Those restrictions have expanded over time, and now we have television and billboards, and everybody sees that. Uh, and there is good and bad to be argued about its effect on, on the legal industry, on our clients, etc. But it has made it um, more available to the public. The public knows at least some people that they can call if they're in this situation. And the average person, you and I are lawyers, we think everybody knows a lawyer. Average person doesn't know a lawyer. Average person doesn't know who to call or have a friend that they can have recommend someone. That a lot of lawyers are still found that way, but including personal injury. But it has made it possible for 
just people in the community to at least know some people they can turn to in these situations. Quality of service, I've known in small law firms, medium-sized law firms, and these big law firms that advertise, I've known really good lawyers, I've known really average lawyers, and I've known lousy lawyers in all settings, right? Yeah. And so yeah, to true. say, oh, the big advertisers probably don't have very good lawyers. I, 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 know some, I know some of the lawyers, principal lawyers in some of those big advertising law firms that are great lawyers. But, but, but I want to push back. Mm-hmm. And when, again, when I was a baby attorneys, when I first heard about this, and I was shocked. And I heard about it from a personal injury attorney and I have found that some personal injury attorneys don't even know about what I'm going to say. And that is the insurance company knows who Kevin Fine is. Uh, they, they keep and telling me that they do. And they've <laughs> rated you. And I've heard that rumor as well. And they've rated every other attorney who they've ever encountered. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. I, I, think that, uh, I think there's some exaggeration in the level to which that happens. Um, but especially – but it's – it's truest on the biggest cases. The people that are playing in the, on the most serious injuries, the highest economic losses, the highest uh, damages, those uh, attorneys and the attorneys defending those cases know who, who the other lawyers are. And, and the insurance companies working for them or working on those cases also know. Uh, and they so, know that if, you know, Frank, Frank Johnson, John Doe attorney, whatever, John Doe attorney has had multiple big decisions. They know that. Yes. Yeah. And they're going to increase your settlement offer right from the beginning to right. try to get rid of the case. Right. Which is why I put a little caveat on that. And that is, it, it seems evident to us because, of course, they're not telling us what they know and they don't know. You know, they're on the other side of these cases. Uh, but it seems evident to us that especially on the bigger cases, they know who the players are. They know who the serious lawyers are with the serious verdicts. It's not that hard to find that. The vast majority of cases are settled outside of court, vast majority. And the more regular routine, I'll call them, uh, the, the cases in which they see lots and lots of numbers, it's harder to track all those lawyers. And they probably don't. And, and, and they're probably not doing a deep dive on those smaller cases. Not time. a deep dive, no. But, but I they, talked to a friend. Right. I talked to a friend recently, and he he joined his father's litigation team. He was a he was a uh, attorney out in the East Coast, and he was done uh, with mm-hmm. with that type of law firm. And he was you know the major type of stuff. And he comes back to Arizona where he was reared and he joins his father's firm and they litigate. All they do is litigate personal injury claims. Mm -hmm. That's it. And they don't advertise and they don't take a lot of their clients. They didn't originate. What do they do? They take referrals from large advertising firms. Right. Those referrals that they can't get settled. So a lot of the, they, they pull in so much work, a lot of the large advertising firms that they they can't actually handle them all. They don't have the resources to litigate the claims, so they push them. They push a lot of those claims out to firms like his, right. and then his firm takes it. And he says, "Well, you know, the funny thing is, Bob. As soon as I get the referral, the offer goes up by ten percent or twenty percent or whatever the number it was." And I said, "Oh, you must have a good uh, good rating in Colossus." And he's like, "And what?" He didn't even understand that the reason why he gets the higher offer is 
they know, the insurance company, that he is going to uh, increase their costs and therefore it's worth X, Y, Z more. Yeah. Well, and again, it gets complex because, for example, you mentioned Colossus, which is an algorithm-driven computer program developed by farmers 20 to 30 years ago. Okay. Um, it's not the only program on the block anymore. And in fact, it's probably not used by on most claims. But there are programs like that right. being used. I, I'm not going to throw this company under the bus and we can edit it out if it's wrong to mention it. But State Farm is, is the biggest insurance company for auto insurance right. in Arizona, at least. And they have their own system. They have their own system, have right. for a long time. And they use it very differently than the farmers and others of the world used Colossus. And even those companies are using other programs in addition to or instead of Colossus now. So it's hard to keep up with exactly what the programs are, how they're being used. I have been told by an adjuster that, for example, on the, on the lawyer rating, it was simply a box. Is this person represented or not? Not even the name of the lawyer. They may have it now. But it makes it so I realize that we're dealing with some fact and some rumor on the whole way that all of this, all these algorithms, all these computer programs are being used. But... For example, if this company, if, uh, the, if the big advertising law firm that's turning this work over to the litigating law firm is doing that when they can't get a case settled, well, the, then the insurance companies know that too. It's not that they are thinking that this advertising law firm can't get the case done because they won't litigate it. They just know it's going to be moved. And that may be a signal in their system to now increase the offer. But you can't say, well, they just know that this advertising law firm will never litigate. No, they just have a different way to do it, right? And, right. and, and so, so what have you really gained or yeah. lost ultimately as a client, which is why I'm not ready to throw them all under the bus. And it's also why even they probably know that your friend's law firm is a litigation law firm. But that doesn't mean they know the other 99 out of 100 law lawyers who are doing personal injury. Now, I'm a litigator. Almost all my cases get filed um, a, a, because most of my cases need to have some litigation done before they resolve. Um, but, you know, there aren't that many jury trials anymore, especially in this line of work. A lot of, you know, we have to think about jury trials. We have to prepare for jury trials. We have to put evidence together as if it went in front of a jury because if a case doesn't settle, that's where it's headed. But most cases, when I say most, I'm talking about almost all cases resolved prior to that jury trial, but not all of them. Okay. Final question. If, how do I know the attorney I'm using is any good? I get <laughs> injured, right? Right. I don't know that I could call Bob Sewell who referred me to Kevin. I don't know that. I don't know. Frankly, I don't know if Kevin's any good. I don't know if Bob's any good. I don't know if Steve down the street is any good. How do I know? Well, I'm going to go even deeper than that. Most lawyers don't really know how good even their friends are at this work. Sure. When you get a recommendation from a lawyer to go to some other lawyer, they probably haven't read their briefs. They probably haven't seen them in court. They probably, they probably, but they know if they're good people or not, usually, right? So what do I and, judge it based that, on? And that does matter because you are going to be in a relationship with this person. So how you are personally with them uh, is every bit as important. They're probably going to know the law, but I'll get to that. So to answer the question, uh, as a consumer of legal services, as a person who needs the guidance of a lawyer, you have every right to meet with that lawyer, have that consultation. In my line of work, usually it doesn't cost money even for the consultation. And to see how you feel then, 
It's important for people to understand they can have that meeting without making a commitment. A lot of people don't ever want to call a lawyer because they're afraid they're going to get trapped in some kind of a web that they can't get out of and be stuck, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, and we can be better at communicating that that's not going to happen to them. Uh, and have that meeting and then decide and, and with, uh, if they're comfortable with this relationship or not. Here are some key things to know. Is, is this this lawyer's line of work? Is this what they do? Is or is it just something that they throw into whatever ever else they normally yeah, that's do? Important. Right? That's important. And how long have they done it? Not to throw the younger lawyers under the bus now, but uh, you know, experience. I, I, and and again, not to boast on my own right, but I have every week I have something happen in my practice that looks like a problem, and I realize, oh, I know how to solve that problem. Wait a minute. The reason I know how to solve that problem is that I made that mistake 10 years ago yeah. <laughs> that I can now avoid right, 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 for right. this client. Um, and, and there's just a, there's enough of that that if you're concerned about the quality of service, is it what your lawyer does? How long have they been doing it are important questions. You know, the reputation in the community, absolutely, because that's also going to affect the reputation with insurance companies, and these are insurance claims. So, yeah. you know. I teased you about running marathons and chasing the ambulances. But that's an important part of your life, your fitness journey, where you were, you know, 16 years ago, where you are today. What's going on? Why is it important to you? Well, I think anyone in our society right now, and particularly professionals in any line of work, know that we're facing a bit of a crisis, you know, generally of health and fitness, both physical and mental. Especially in the attorney land, I think. Yeah, we're, the, uh, lawyers uh, struggle with it worse than the average professional and average worker. But as a whole in our society, we're not doing great. Um, and uh, I, was, I was on the same slide, you know, a number of years ago and decided I wanted to get off that slide. So I started doing a lot of study and practice. I got into marathoning, got into mindfulness meditation, got yeah. into health and fitness, and I've been Pedal to the metal on that ever since. I'm I remember that. I, I love visiting with people about that. I think it's important for all of us to get that right or get it better, no matter what we're you doing. You write about it? I write about it. Uh, we we have blog article. about it, yeah. I think. Yeah, uh, write and blog about some of my own experiences there, just hopefully to motivate other people to start their own journey and, and uh, maybe help turn some corners there. If I want to get hold yeah. of you, I have an injury. Mm -hmm. How do I do that? Oh, uh, I'm you and I are at the same firm, so you could probably give the number too. But uh, the you know the front desk number four eight zero seven three three sixty eight hundred at Davis Miles McGuire Gardner. Easy way to get hold of us. Just ask for Kevin Fine. Uh, we have lots of legal services. Ours is not the only thing we do. Or personal injury. Uh, we we cover the gamut, as as you know. Um, so four eight zero seven three three sixty eight hundred is the is the front desk, and they can get you to me. Um, and once we've made that contact, I'll, I'll I make myself very easy to get a hold of. Okay. But the main thing for people to understand is, sure. if in doubt on how to proceed, if you, if somebody's facing an injury claim, um, that there, there are things that are not nearly as hard as people think, and there are other things that are much harder than people think. And being able to have somebody just at least point out what each of those are in a particular case can be very helpful to a consumer. I know there are lawyers out there who are willing to do that before a person has to make a decision on how to proceed. I'm one of them. Kevin, thanks for coming on. You betcha. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to Is That Even Legal? Remember, this isn't legal advice. If you have a legal question for yourself, reach out to an attorney. Remember that we're fun, we're lovable, and we are here to help you. 
To my listeners in 62 countries across the world, if you have something you want to explore, email us at producer at evenlegal.com. And don't be shy about leaving a review for this podcast on your favorite podcast forum. See you next time.